Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on www.vhha.com and on popular podcast hosting sites and apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And with that out of the way, today we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Cameron Webb, a professor and physician at the University of Virginia who is also an attorney, a health policy specialist, and this year a candidate for U.S. Congress in Virginia's 5th District. Welcome to the program, Dr. Webb. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I don't want to bury the lead here, so we'll get to your campaign in just a moment. But first, I want to give people an overview of your credentials. As we mentioned, you're both a doctor and an attorney who worked as a health policy fellow in the Obama White House. At UVA, you see patients, you teach and serve as director of health policy and equity in the School of Medicine. There's an old saying that parents want their children to grow up to either be a doctor or a lawyer. You ended up doing both. What compelled you to pursue a medical degree and a legal degree? Well, for me, it's that when I was five years old, I was just so impressed with our family doctor. I'm, I'm the third of six kids, so we spent a lot of time at the doctor's office. But our physician, he was a young African-American man. And for me, seeing that black man in a white coat was inspiring. You, know, you can kind of see yourself in that role and seeing how he was serving the community. So I knew since I was five that I wanted to be a doctor. When I got to college at the University of Virginia, though, that was when I first heard about kind of the statistics behind the disparities in healthcare, And it immediately struck me as a you know, civil rights issue, a social justice issue. You know, that idea of everyone having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, that life part, I was like, well, there's a challenge there. And so I started thinking about what are the best tools that we have to address social justice issues. And I, the law really struck me, just looking back at the civil rights movement and looking back at other social justice movements. And so I said, I wanted to bring together the expertise in health and healthcare and the expertise in social justice and advocacy and put those together to try to help create a healthcare system that serves people a little bit better. And that's how it all came together. And it's been an exciting Right. And having that background, both the medical background and the legal background, positions you well for the endeavor professionally that you're on right now, which is that you are seeking a seat in the United States Congress. As we mentioned in June, you earned a landslide victory in a four-person contest for the Democratic nomination in the 5th Congressional District, which stretches from exurban Northern Virginia down through Charlottesville to Southside Virginia and the state border. You now face Republican nominee Bob Good, who unseated incumbent Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman in the GOP nomination process. The 5th District is Republican in its voting leanings based on recent history. It was last represented by a Democrat when former Congressman Tom Perriello narrowly won it in the 2008 wave election. 2020, though, has been wildly unpredictable, and some polling suggests that the winds may be at the backs of Democrats in a likely high turnout presidential year. So considering all those factors and the complicating presence of COVID-19, what encourages you about your prospects for success this year? I think first and foremost, it's just the issues that are top of mind for people. It's not a stretch for me to say that my area of core expertise is the number one thing on people's minds and that the areas of health, health care, and you add on this global health pandemic that we're facing, you know, I think that my ability to speak to that authentically and with expertise, it matters a lot to people. You know, long before COVID-19, folks were facing kind of a cost crisis, whether it's the cost of insurance premiums or the cost of prescription drugs or the cost of a hospitalization and surprise medical bills. A lot of people have been saying, hey, this isn't working for me. And for me, that's what I teach about at the University of Virginia. That's work that I've in the White House for President Obama on the White House healthcare team. And that's work that I do, you know, both at the state level where I'm on the 
board for medical assistance services, the Medicaid board here in Virginia, and I'm also on Governor Northam's primary care task force. So for me, I'm leaning into my core expertise in recognizing that this is a space where I can really do some good for people right now. And people hear that, it resonates, and I think it makes sense. So I think that the, on the issues, it's a really good opportunity. Being beyond the issues, it's an open seat that we're dealing with, you know, because of the way that that convention played out on the Republican side. I think that we have a unified Democratic Party with the way my election went and a very fractured Republican Party. It's just the set of dynamics that we really want to see if we're going to pull off a victory here in the fifth. And all accounts are saying that, hey, it looks really possible. So we're doing our part, just getting the message out there, making sure that people can get the authentic, real version of me and not that version that opponents sometimes try to create, very extremist version. That's not who I am. And so I think for me, it's just letting people see me for who I am and, and wait for themselves if it works. The real person, not the caricature. And I think it's interesting that you talk about the issue that is top of mind. We know that polling both nationally and state-based has shown for many years that health care concerns are really a top of mind concern for people. And this is a moment in time when we're seeing more and more folks with public health backgrounds or clinical backgrounds who are pursuing elective office for precisely that reason, because they can bring a perspective that has not always been representative in a large way in some of these public policy debates. And so I want to use that to segue to the next question, which is this. There are competing views among Democrats about the path forward on health care reform. Some want to strengthen and expand the Affordable Care Act, perhaps with a new public option insurance plan. Others want to more dramatically overhaul the system by replacing what we have with some version of a Medicare for all government coverage plan. As you mentioned, with your policy experience in the Obama White House and your service on the Oversight Board for Virginia's Medicaid Agency in the time since the Commonwealth expanded Medicaid eligibility under ACA in 2018, team. What are your views on the path forward to broaden coverage access? Well, what I always tell people is that we have some shared goals. We all, and this is across the political spectrum, we all want folks to have access to the care that they need, and we all want people to be able to afford that access. And some of the conversations that I had both in the Obama administration and in the six months I spent in the Trump administration, believe it or not, they were centered around those ideas that everyone should have access and that it should be affordable. And so for me, I think what we're focused on is what is the right next step from our current healthcare system. You know, we have a system that's pretty diverse, both in the payers and and the providers. So it's, you know, you certainly have a, you know, a mix of public and private on both sides. And I think that for right now, that seems like something to build upon, building upon the model of the ACA, adding a thoughtful public option that extends care to the 30 million plus individuals who don't have coverage right now to make sure that everyone's covered. That helps address that idea of access, which is one of the core values to so many people, particularly uh, the folks that I talked to a lot of the times in the Obama administration. But in the Trump administration, what I learned was that in addition to the access piece, they really thought that that choice, that patient autonomy, piece was the priority. And so that's where they wanted to keep the market in play. And I think that this allows us to do that. The public option with making sure that private insurance are still available to individuals, that's a workable solution for the time being. And I think that what we're doing is we're asking the private insurance market to innovate. We're asking it to compete. We're asking it to adapt, to offer products that are appealing to individuals so that they can provide high levels of coverage that meet the needs of the American people at low cost. And I have a lot of faith in the private insurance market to be able to do just that. If it's able to, I think that we can have a workable solution similar to other countries that have that kind of mixed model like Switzerland and the Netherlands and Germany and France. Those are places that we've seen that mix that can be effective. So that's what I think our next step is. It's adding that public option. It's strengthening, you know, kind of the rules and the expectations for private insurance so that it's meeting people's needs and nobody's left behind. And then we'll let people vote with their feet. 
That's a great point. And there is a, certainly opportunity for reform on the provider side, but really on the payer side, as you mentioned. And you alluded to balanced billing, surprise medical bills earlier, and we got some reform here in Virginia on that, which was hard fought, but is going to be beneficial to healthcare consumers. So certainly that message of reform on the payer side, I think, resonates with people. We recently hosted your wife, Dr. Leanne Webb, on an episode that we recorded the day before your primary election. And during the conversation, I asked her about work-life balance when you have a demanding professional career and family and parenting responsibilities, and for you, a hectic campaign schedule. So I'll pose a similar question to you. How do you make all of that work? Well, I make it all work because I'm married to Dr. Leanne Webb. She's an absolute <laughs> superhero. And I think that you know, in so many ways, she makes it possible just because she's so capable of doing an incredible volume of things. People think I do a lot, but Leanne is truly phenomenal. So I think the partnership between us is the key. Even this morning, the dance that we played as we both were working on getting the kids breakfast together, getting them teed up for the day before childcare arrived, and then we both were doing different podcasts this morning. <laughs> and so we were just like, okay, respecting each other's, you know, for professional endeavors, but at the same time, we have joint commitment to to the family and making sure that we're getting everything done. So I think that partnership is the key. For me, I always strive to maintain balance in a couple of areas. For me, it's, it's certainly physically, I went to the gym this morning, there's spiritually, my faith is a huge part of who I am. And so making sure that I'm in touch with my faith from a mental health standpoint, making sure that I'm, I'm taking care of myself. And, and, uh, and then finally, on the professional side, making sure that I'm, I'm finding endeavors that are enriching that keep me feeling energized and excited. And I think when I keep that balance, that's the sweet spot. That's where I like to stay. If any one of those things is out of balance, then I have kind of a reminder to myself, hey, haven't been to the gym in a week. Need to step back up. Need to get back into it. Need to go for a run. And those things are huge. But, you know, keeping that balance, it's only possible uh, when you got the right people around you. And first and foremost, that's my wife. Having that family support system is really critical. And also, another takeaway from what you just said, it sounds like the family that podcasts together stays together. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Before we go, I have a few other more personal questions to give listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. The first one, and this is specifically tailored for you, is who is your favorite famous Cameron? And I'll give you a couple options, and you can you can freewheel as well. Cam Newton, Cameron Diaz, Cameron, the MC, Cameron Crow, James Cameron, Kirk Cameron, Cameron, the character from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Who's your oh, who's your favorite famous Cameron? <laughs> My favorite right now, my favorite thing is Cameron is Cameron Newton. Cam Newton. I just, for me, I think he's just a phenomenally gifted athlete to start. But watching this guy transition from an offseason where nobody wanted him to now going to play quarterback for the New England Patriots to fight for a job. I just love the fight in the guy. I think that he's really stepping into that underdog role. And for somebody with as many gifts as he has, as much you know, as much as he's accomplished, to see how hard he's working and how hard he's fighting, that's definitely something that, that stands out to me. So I love that one. You threw James Cameron in there. That's an interesting one because sad with the rest of the world that we're going to have to wait a little longer for Avatar 2. But James Cameron's definitely one of those creative innovators. So, so thanks for reminding me about the name connection there. Absolutely. And to the Cam Newton point, I think it really is interesting. One, we'll have to see if and whether or not we have an NFL season. But I think one of the very interesting developments beyond what you mentioned is that Bill Belichick and the Patriots have this tradition of really modifying the system to fit the talent they have on the roster. Cam Newton is obviously a very unique talent, former NFL MVP, took the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. So the talent and the capability is there. Perhaps he's found the ideal marriage with with a coach who's not wedded to one system, but really will shift the system to fit the talent that he has. So that'll be interesting to watch. The next question I have for you, sir, is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? 
best piece of advice I've ever been given. That's a good one. I think it was when I was finishing up college and I remember talking to my dad because I was thinking about this notion of really stepping up into being a man in society. What does that mean? It was also the next few years because I got engaged to and just was trying to find my way. And my dad referred me to some scripture that a man is slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And it just kind of gave my soul so much peace. It sharpened my perspective because it reminded me that slow to speak just means that I'm not saying the first thing that comes to mind. I'm being thoughtful. I'm being contemplative. I'm making sure that I'm taking my time to articulate exactly what it is that I want to say. Quick to listen reminds me that, that the first thing I need to be doing in any space is to hear what folks are saying around me. That's going to help sharpen my vantage point, my viewpoint, my perspective, and my ability to engage those people where they are. And the slow to become angry part is so important also because there's so many things that could make you upset in society, in the world, if you allow them to. And I think that idea of being slow to become angry, it takes a lot to get a rise out of me. That kind of coolness, calmness under the pressure that is life and has been helpful to me. So my dad gave me some good words of wisdom straight from the good book. And so I lean into him. Think before you speak and be an active listener and keep a cool head. Those are all excellent pieces of advice. The next question for you, Dr. Whip, is, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be? You know, my last meal is actually probably not going to be much of a meal. It's going to be a really incredible wine and cheese pairing. And it's a, <laughs> and I'm moving to this part of Virginia, the Monticello AVA. Where we have so many wineries here. has really sharpened the palate for Leanne and I. We've been to over 30 wineries right here in the local region and really just fallen in love with it. So I think for me, what you get is you get a taste of history. You get a taste of geography. You get a taste of climate. You get a taste of everything in a good glass of wine. And so for me, it'd be ideal sitting opposite my wife with one of our favorite bottles of wine and a great cheese pairing and just saying like, hey, this is, this is outstanding. And would that be a red or a white? Oh, it's a red for sure. I know you're a basketball fan. Are you college or pro? What's your preference? College basketball, there's nothing like March Madness, which is why my heart was broken this year. But just watching these incredibly high-performing athletes, incredibly skilled, play with that level of passion, like every second of that game is the most important thing. You just don't see that in any other aspect of sports. So March Madness is the pinnacle of athletic competition to me. We talked about your busy life, but if you magically had some extra free time, what is one hobby that you always wanted to pursue but never had the time to? What would be the one thing that you would pursue if you had some extra free time? I guess this for me is kind of roped up in a regret. When I was in the sixth grade, I started playing piano. I played for, for three years. And I was pretty decent at it, but nothing to write home about. But just the same, I enjoyed it. But by the time I got to high school, I had to make a decision because there were six kids in my family and only so many extracurricular activities to go around. I had to choose between playing basketball and playing piano. And being a 14-year-old boy, for me, the hoop dreams were calling me. So I went on and played basketball. I ended up being the captain of my high school team. But I always think about playing a piano, how much peace it gave me, kind of sitting down, learning a new song. And so um, it's a hobby that I've told myself at multiple points over time that I want to pick back up. And so I think that's what I would turn to. And finally, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself occupied? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice, the Bible in your case. Uh, So other than that, what are your three entertainment kit survival picks? Oh, man. The one book that I would have... Well, I'll start with... You said one book, one album, and one movie? movie. Yes, sir. 
Okay, well, I'll start with the album. It's going to be Jay-Z, Hard Knock Life. That just takes me back. It transports me, and I love it, and I get something new out of it every time. From volume three. That's right. <laughs> so I love it. I love it. Favorite movie? I actually, I love Shawshank Redemption. It is one of the deepest films. I really enjoy it every time I watch it. But I actually, as I'm saying it, I'm going to change that. It's Gladiator. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. I've watched Gladiator at least once every couple of months, and so I think it would probably be Gladiator to keep me interested and also keep me motivated. I was just thinking about the notion of being stuck on a deserted island and watching a movie about somebody being imprisoned, and I was like, maybe not the best look. I think Gladiator would probably be the one. In terms of the best book, man, I've never actually read the same book twice, so I'm trying to think of what would be a good one. I have lots of books that I haven't finished yet, and so... I think for me, it would honestly just be a really, really compelling biography. And so I'm open to suggestions, but A Long Walk Toward Freedom was, was Nelson Mandela's that I'd actually read that I loved. And, and I think that it tells me a lot about resilience, a lot about patience, and a lot about purpose. And so that's probably the one I'd look to. Okay. Well, we appreciate you sharing those picks with us. That is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you you know when new episodes are available. And we want to thank our guest today, Dr. Cameron Webb, who is a physician, a lawyer, a health policy specialist, and a Democratic nominee for the 5th Congressional District seat in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So thanks for being with us today, sir. Thanks for having me. Y'all take care.